This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Nothing can replace the pleasure of turning the pages of the printed book. Join us now as we explore our city's rich literary heritage, talking with people who are passionate about the printed word and celebrating the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute's fascinating local history. Welcome to Wireless Books. Welcome everyone and welcome Christine to another edition of Wireless Books sponsored by the Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute on behalf of and for and we are recording from the lovely little studios that is Otago Access Radio in wonderful Old Dunedin. Oh yes, talking of Old Dunedin, the Heritage Festival is on today and tomorrow and the Athenaeum Library is open on Saturday for, I know Beth will um, give me stick for this, but for an unusual, it's an unusual event. And so any of you who have been thinking, oh, I'd like to have a little pop into there, this is your chance. You can do it on, on a Saturday. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, well, sorry, you've missed out. Anyway, shall we start anywho. with... Anywho. Yes, anywho. Shall we start with new books? <laughs> I think we must. <laughs> Beth has that look on her face. Now we have this one is by Lisa Jewell. Oh, have I read that one? No, it's no, a very I didn't think so. Latest, the night she disappeared, and it is it's a ripper thriller. She's I've probably said this before, but she started off writing romance novels, um, and mm. she they always had a sort of a, a kind of a dark or a mystery component in them, but. As she's gone on, she's t- she's turned the darker side, wow. and um, people mm. like it. I have never read a bad book of hers yet, no matter what genre. Mm. Yes, she did. She wrote some really mm. good um, yep. romance novels. In fact, it, sort of in the in between stage, they weren't even romance in a way. They were just stories about people's family dynamics mm-hmm. and um, as life happens. And yeah, yeah, she's got darker and darker, and people like it more and more. <laughs> and this. Is, it starts off in 2017 and this woman, um, she's a middle-aged woman and her she's got two young children, um, teenage, not young, teenage young adult children and her daughter who is about 19, Tallulah, is, um, has had, a, had a, a child and she lives, Tallulah lives with her mother Kim and her boyfriend lives the father of the child also lives with them and and the baby and so it's all sort of very um, happy families almost but Tallulah she broke up with her boyfriend when she got pregnant and then he after the baby was born he begged her to give him a chance and that he would be a good father and he has been a good father but Tallulah is actually on the verge of breaking up with him just because she doesn't think they're particularly compatible and anyway they've gone out on a date night and Kim's Kim would normally go out herself but she she sort of said oh well you know go out and have fun and she expects them back about midnight or maybe even a bit earlier, but they send her a text about 10 o'clock and say, oh, we've been asked to go to a pool party somewhere else. Is that all right if we just you know, stay out a bit longer? And she, she sends them a text saying, sure thing, you know, enjoy yourselves. So she wakes up at about 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock and goes into the baby and the baby sleeps into Lula's room and, and the bed, the bed, their bed is empty. 
And so she sends them a text saying, you know, where are you? And she, they, of course, they've both got phones. So she phones Tallulah and her boyfriend and the text just go into voicemail. And so she start, you know, she start off she's not worried she's just a bit annoyed with them and so she stays up and she's like sending them these texts and they just keep going ping-ponging into voicemail and um, they never never return and they become missing people and then we move forward about 18 months later not even that far, a year later and we've got another protagonist who is um, a woman who writes detective novels and she's moved into the countryside with her boyfriend who is has got a position as a teacher in a in a boarding school. And anyway, this woman is, is wandering around the woods one day and she sees a sign stuck to a fence and it says, Dig Here, which is spooky. But what's really spooky is it's part of the plot of her first detective novel. So that's... So she sort of stumbles into this mystery and starts digging around. And meanwhile, Kim has been, she's been trying to get the police interested because the police just think, oh, just teenagers running away. They can't be bothered with the baby anymore. They've run away to her. And Kim knows that's not the case. She knows that her daughter loves her son and would never leave him. And so there's still that trauma and that just that horror of somebody just disappearing without a trace. Yeah, and um, the result, well. Thank you. Yes. Very, it is a I very just good wanted one. to stop you there because I thought you're going to spoil it. You're going to tell everyone. No, I don't really know. I don't know the ins and outs of what's happened ah, to, to Lula. Right. And I don't know what happened to her boyfriend if, if they disappeared together or if, you know, it's just, oh, there's so many cases like that. I mean, it just, it's just everybody's worst nightmare, isn't it? And you don't need much imagination to know how ghastly it would be. Now, this one is a different kettle of fish. It's by Trisha Stringer. She's an Australian author, and it's called Birds of Feather. And she's written um, a few books that I've I've got, The Model Wife and The the Family Inheritance. And they're actually quite good family dynamic stories. And this this one has... it's a bit like Lisa Jewell. There's no romance in it, though this isn't isn't at all on the dark side of things. It's about three different women, and their romantic lives are basically sorted out. It's just their careers or their stages in life uh, have got them sort of a bit. They're all a bit beached. There's um, there's Eve who actually has been running a successful porn porn prawn. <laughs> Prawn um, trawler business, and so she's she's actually a very wealthy woman and um, very powerful woman in lots of ways. But suddenly, people are sort of treating her like she's old, and maybe she should just sell the business up and you know not worry a little head about all these things. And so she's feeling a bit marginalised. And um, and there's the woman who comes to nurse her, who is sort of at a crossroads as well, and. Um, she was a nurse, but something happened and she stopped nursing, but she's sort of, as a kind of a favour, she's come to look after Eve. And there's um, Julia, who's Eve's granddaughter, and she's a research scientist, and suddenly um, the money for her research has dried up, and so she's sort of out on her air a bit as well. And it's just they come together and they they ruffle each other's feathers and they don't know really if they get on, but it turns out they're probably more alike than they realise. So it's kind of... One of those. It sounds like a lovely read. It is. It's, mm. She's she's quite good at these sort of things, and um, 
I just think it kind of gets categorised as a romance novel, and it isn't. Like I said, there's, there's no, there is romance in it, but it's like for people who are already in partnerships. They, mm. They're not worrying about getting a new partner or whatever. They're kind of worried about their next research grant or, or, or what they're going to be doing. They're worried about the meaning of life. Well, yes, yes. I think yes. Eve probably mm-hmm. is. She's got a. She's got to um, set herself on a new path mm-hmm. and realise that um, there's life after the prawn boats. That's right, and uh, quite a lot of money as well, probably. <laughs> now, this is the latest Joe Nesbo, and it's called the Jealousy Man, and it's actually um, a collection of short stories. Oh, yes. So oh. there's no Harry Ho, Ho- hole in this, oh. but. This, yeah, it's. Uh, I like the idea. I wonder how Joe Nesbo does short stories. Well, he's written a few standalone novels, so I think he he's proved himself as able to f- come up with different characters that who, who aren't Harry Hole. But um, there, so he's experimenting a bit and just giving himself yeah, um, out of the old tight. Jack, and I don't know if you want that or not. Oh, well, it's a toss-up between that and the enclave. So. Okay, now, this is an enclave. Actually, I've got time to read one of these short stories. You carry on. <laughs> I think they're longish ones, but anyway. Oh, they're novellas. They're not quite short stories. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, maybe not. <laughs> I mean, maybe you don't have time to... to, to. Anyway, let me move on. Anne-Claise, and this is um, part of the Shetland series, White Nights, and it's not a new book. It's just I'm filling in a few gaps in the collection. We have quite a lot of Anne-Claise, but we seem to have all of the Vera novels, but um, the Shetland, the ones that's a bit more patchy, and I've just thought, oh, I really should buy a few of those on and off. So this is the second Shetland novel, and it's um, there's uh, an exhibition launch in a art gallery and it's disturbed by a stranger who bursts into tears and claims not to remember who he is or where he comes from and the next day his body is discovered in a fisherman's hut initially it seemed like a seems like a straightforward case of a suicide but um, this is not a desperate act and instead the work of a cold and calculating killer and so as the investigation goes on they find start to find the hidden secrets of the community and then another body is found and yes, so there you go. And also, it's midsummer, an unsettling time when the sun never really sets in Shetland and nothing is quite as it seems. Oh, look, now that's an easy read. Thank mm. you. Yeah. And finally, I have this. Um, it's it's the biography of Lucy Maud Montgomery, the writer of um, the Anna Green Gable books. And... She's a real icon in in Canada, and she became when she was at the height of her popularity when she was writing, and people just loved her books, and everybody read them. And um, like when Lloyd George went to Canada, he, as part of his research, he he read Anne of Gang, Green Gables, and so there were lots. So it was a book that all sections of society read, but then. Canadian writers who were jealous of her enormous popularity started putting out that she was basically just a children's writer and that her books were sickly sweet and sentimental, which they weren't particularly. And she, so she became sneered at amongst 
um, Canadian intellectual circles. And so she was never studied in universities, but her books remained bestsellers because people read them and loved them. But they were always kind of looked down upon as being for, um, as just pure children's literature. And this woman, um, Mary Henley Rubo, was, she's an academic and she was one of the first people to start to reevaluate um, the place of Lucy Montgomery's books in Canadian literature. And she found out that um, she had been writing journals all through her life. And so they they published these journals and it seemed like, oh, well, we know all about her now. We have her journals. But then they realised that her journals also were almost a work of fiction. They are very much the side of her life that she wanted to present. And she actually went through and had them retyped and edited them so that any biographers coming along would um, be able to use them. Mm. So, of course, that's, I mean, that's a kind of a double-edged sword. I mean, any biographer will think, yippee, but then you realise, well, actually, no, I'm being steered on, in one track mm. and there's possibly a wider story. So this woman, after publishing the journals, then has gone and try and found um, people that were alive when um, Lucy Montgomery was alive like her maids she had a s- series of maids who were all very fond of her and quite often they would they would work for her for a couple of years, go away and then come back and work for her again so she was a good employee mm-hmm. and one of her sons was still alive and um, she became became friends with him and um, so she sort of got to learn what a, um, a massive contradictions Lucy Montgomery was and so it's it's one of these books that's won lots of prizes in Canada and um, has been a bestseller there. It has a lot of photographs in it, and and it's got a lot of interesting stuff in it um, because I've only I like opened it up at random and read about an exciting court case she had about a a motor a motor um, accident, and she got they got sued by the people that they had the accident with, even though the fault was on both sides, and it was just. She's one of these people that things happened to, and yeah, so it is a good read. Do you know, I've never read Anne of Green Gables, nor have I watched the program, ever. Oh, no. Well, do you know what I thought? I'm going to, do we have any? No. We do, we don't have the actual Anne. I'll look online. Yeah, Yeah. Anne of Green Gables, lovely. Have a look up, yeah. Yeah, right, let's play a sting. Yep. Let's play a sting. Buzz, buzz, buzz. For more information on the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, go to www.dunedinathenaeum.org.nz. That's Dunedin, A-T-H-E-N-A-E-U-M.org.nz. Oh, welcome back. Sorry, I was a bit, a bit slow with that button because Christine was giving my me my instructions for f- future. Well, I'll so. let you know if she, if she next next show. I'll tell you if she actually did them correctly. Mm. Now, the other thing, this is a special um, week. Not only are we having the Heritage Festival, we are celebrating a hundred years of radio, and. Yes, Beth probably has something to add to that because this is her subject. No, nothing. Carry on. Well, you know, yeah. It was broadcast from the university. Mm. Um, Professor Jack. That's the one. I know. Very exciting. Mm. Still younger than the Athenaeum Library, though. Oh, that's right. We predate all that newfangled technology. (laughs) Uh. Now, 
last time I brought this booklet, um, Dunedin is a Writer's City, and one of the um, things about it was the uh, the bridge um, over the Leith, or not the yeah the Leith at um, George Street, and it mentioned a writer called Merton Hodge. And I'd never heard of him. Now, he was born in ooh, 1903, and he wasn't born in, New- in Dunedin. He was born in Poverty Bay, and he spent his school days in Auckland. But then he came down to Dunedin and trained as a doctor in our medical school, and then he went to the UK and did postgrad studies in Edinburgh. So he was a bright man, mm. and he also... In his in his spare time, he wrote a play called The Wind and the Rain, which was following the adventures of young medical students in Edinburgh. And it got put on on the West End of London in 1933, and it ran till 35, and it had an over a thousand um, night run, which was was like record breaking at the time and it was performed all over all over the world it was performed it went to america it was, of course it was performed in new zealand and it was a huge huge success and he followed that up with another play and then he was asked to anglicize an american play now this is interesting back then they would take an american play and go oh well anglicize it so that the english audience can understand it now now i think it <laughs> tends the to the other way around yeah <laughs> so he sort of had the string of hits all the way up to, through the, to the second world war and then he sort of his play st- sort of start stopped hitting the mark and meanwhile the war was going on but all through this time, he kept um, he kept working as a doctor, and what he would do is, if he had a play coming up, he would um, take a few months' leave to go and help because the play the playwrights quite often would um, hang in and attend rehearsals mm-hmm. and give advice and stuff. So he would take a few months off to to embed his play, and then he would go back to his work as a doctor. And he also worked in a psychiatric hospital, and he. And he was quite involved in the war. He was still over in England in the war. And then about 1953, he returned to New Zealand. And in fact, he, he returned to New Zealand because his mother was ill. And so he went and sort of sorted his mother out. And then he came down to Dunedin and he had a, a friend he'd obviously gone through medical school with who had a practice and he joined that practice. And... Th- I'd never heard of the wind. I'd never heard of I've never heard of him it. or very the, ignorant or the play. And so I actually went up to uh, the McNabb room on level three of the public library, and they they had a copy of the play which I took out, and they also very helpfully um, got me. They have I don't even know what it's called. They have um, a note uh, a scrapbook which they pa- pa- paste items from the newspaper and they've been doing this and they had an item about him when he returned to Dunedin he'd gone he'd gone with a reporter and his corgi dog and they'd driven around Dunedin and he was sort of reminiscing about places he knew in Dunedin and and the reporter sort of reported on it and so that was quite interesting and there was a picture of him and he just looked like a quite a prosperous um Gentleman of the 1950s. So it's all, you know, his life all seems pretty fabulous. And then, and when he died, was in October 1958, and he he went missing. And then they found his 
bag and coat next to the leith, and he was had drowned himself in something called the Devil's Hole at Woodhall. I at, know the Devil's Hole. We used to swim there as kids. Mm, mm. Well, there you well, go. There you went. <laughs> so and so. His Wikipedia um, page is very short, but it, it, they acknowledge he's listed in in the suicides, notable suicides for 1958. Oh. So it, you know, it was a suicide. And there was an article in the scrapbook that the um, public library showed me of noting that they'd found his body. They didn't call it a suicide. And they said that he'd um, he'd been living in Pine Hill and he had married Miss Kathleen Rutherford from England. And that's... So he's somebody who was really, really famous mm. and then just totally has, has, has gone from our consciousness. It's quite fascinating, sort of a little bit like poor old Fergus. Fergus Hume, I know. Yes. Now... I've been talking about how this is a very important week. There's another thing that's happened this week that is of great importance, and that's Britney Spears has been freed. Oh. <laughs> well, for some people, well, for her and a lot of her fans, yes. that's a big deal. And it is. Yeah. sort of highlights, because um, it's not just Britney that's been put under this conservatorship. There's a lot of people that have been put under that. I've never actually, I've, I have to admit, I've never actually... Have you had even heard of the word or what it was until Britney Spears? Mm. So I think yeah. I think she conservatorship. No, yes, never. I think she might um, bring a change in the law, possibly. Now, yeah, it would be and, called the Britney effect. So, just in celebration, we're going to play Britney Spears singing a Christmas song, and <laughs> in November. Well, in November. well, so this is your first Christmas song, possibly. Now you know, Chris. You see, you just do it to upset me. You know, the first Christmas song should always be Snoopy's Christmas. May- Damn that Britney Spears! Maybe next week. <laughs>
So happy reading. Happy reading, everyone. The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute welcomes new members. Enjoy the Athenaeum's quiet, warmly carpeted library and reading room and share in the joy of books, new and old. Visit www.dunedinathenaeum.org.nz for more information or pop into the Athenaeum Library at number 24, The Octagon. The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, celebrating Dunedin's rich literary heritage since 1851. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.